leading a startup team, whether you're delivering a sugar rush, stocking coffee, or getting a regular delivery of snacks, Office Depot has solutions that fit every startup culture, from getting those first business cards and stationery to ordering fleece pullovers with your new logo. To learn how Office Depot and the California Technology Council have partnered to bring you savings on all of these startup essentials and more, go to californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. The Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine and the Salk Institute for Biological Studies are leading a $15.4 million effort to develop new systems for quickly screening libraries of drugs for potential effects against schizophrenia and bipolar disorders. The National Institutes of Mental Health is funding the work. We spoke to Hong Jung Sung, professor of neurology and neurosciences at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, about the effort the challenges of understanding the underlying biological mechanism of these disorders, and how the consortium expects to change the development of drugs to treat mental illness. I'm John. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. We're going to discuss the recent $15.4 million award that supports a public-private partnership you're helping to lead that seeks to develop new ways of studying and screening for certain mental disorders. This is supported by the National Institutes of Mental Health. To begin, how big a problem are these disorders? So mental disorder is really a big problem affecting many people uh, in the United States and also, of course, the world. They are not only affecting the, the people, the patient directly, but also affect their family members. So, for example, uh, schizophrenia bipolar orders, they really affect a large population uh, of the, in, in, across the world. These have been difficult conditions to develop new therapies for. How well do we understand the biology underlying diseases like schizophrenia or bipolar disorder? So, yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, so, so the, the drug that you couldn't use has been discovered probably decades ago. And there's really a, lot, there's a lack of new uh, drugs uh, come to clinic and for, for people. And part of the reason, exactly as you said, is we don't really have a fully understanding of psychiatric disorders. And this has been difficult because for psychiatric disorders, it's not as easy as in other disorders where we can use animal models to, to model them. Because, and this pretty much is a human-specific problem. And that has been an issue where it could be uh, treatments or drugs which are effective in animal models, but when they move to humans, then they become less effective. And that's the reason why a humanized model would be useful for this uh, process. Well, one of the things you're hoping to do is use induced pluripotent stem cell technology to take donated cells from patients with certain conditions and engineer neurons that are genetically similar to the neurons of 
patients with these conditions. Why does that matter? What will that allow you to do? So exactly. So, so uh, this is important is because now uh, through many years of research now, there's a good understanding that many of these psychiatric disorders, there's a genetic component, uh, which means they pass on from parents or there's a de novo mutation accumulating. So there's a genetic cause for that. And also, uh, we, we know that the genetic cause for this disorder is very complex. They probably involve not only one gene, but many genes together to cause the problem. And this has been a problem because that's not easy or almost impossible to model in uh, traditional models, for in rodents, in, in other models. And the, the, the important thing about this technology is we know it exactly. And the genetic material, because they are coming the exactly the same patient. So, so we know uh, uh, where they come from, but also that genetic tractable. So we can repeatedly look at the same uh, genetic material itself over and over to try to find uh, the, the treatment potentials. In addition, this is also a possibility that uh, there's also a direction for personalized medicine because everybody are somewhat different. Some drugs work for certain people, but not work for the other. And here we also have a possibility to address that because we are working with exactly an almost identical genetic composition as the patients themselves. So as you look at these conditions, is the expectation that you're going to find that they're Multiple conditions or heterogeneous? Uh, so, so maybe you can uh, help me a little bit more here by, by what means the heterogeneous in the disease or, or in, well, that you know that that like something like breast cancer, schizophrenia comes in several different forms. Oh yeah, so so I, I think that that is actually the clinical and scientific process. We normally like to categorize them into one disease, but probably there are thousands of diseases. And they have common uh, sort of uh, phenotypes, uh, outcomes, but there are also differences. So there are many heterogeneous uh, uh, contributions. They could be genetic, could be other, but it's very complex. Can you... true for cancer. And it's also uh, uh, very heterogeneous as well. Is the expectation you'll be able to engineer these cells in a way that you'll be able to do high-throughput drug screening with them? That's exactly the idea. So the idea is, can we now develop approaches now we can screen these cells directly from patients and they program? But there's a caveat. This is a problem, a roadblock for the skill. Uh, it's because these cells are not as easy to, uh, to work with, and there's a lot of uh, variabilities. And because of that, that's actually become difficult to standardize the whole process. And that really stopped us from pushing this really all the way to do drug screen as a routine, for example. Well, the other issue here, I, I imagine, is the complexity of these diseases from a genetic point of view. It's, they're, they're not monogenic. How many different patients will you draw cells from? And is there a requirement of a clinical diagnosis or some genetic-based diagnosis to Use a patient cells. You raise a very good point. So, so, so uh, it's actually uh, there. There's many flavors. There are many mutations. So, uh, actually, in our consortium, we are working with over hundred uh, uh, lines, over hundred patients. So, we have some of them which uh, we know there's a specific mutation, and we know that mutation can be very important in neurodevelopment. 
And the reason why we know that is because we can use genome editing technologies in these cells to fix the mutation or introduce this mutation and get exactly the same uh, phenomena. So we know that is important. But also, when we're testing uh, cells from patients, for example, uh, in the case of bipolar disorders, some patients respond to lesion treatment, some do not. And we also get, uh, based on the clinical uh, sort of, uh, diagnos uh, diagnosis, and we also try to treat them in the dish to get an idea whether we can segregate different patients or different cells that way. In addition, we also have cell lines derived from patients who has been diagnosed for bipolar schizophrenia, but we have no clue where the genetic insult could be. So, so we have a variety of them. Uh, we hope that together something can be emerging, something common, fundamental, uh, can emerge from our study. And, and once you have a patient cells, the hope is to create a, a population of different types of brain cells. What do you hope to determine? What we hope to determine is, is at a multiple level of analysis from cell biology, molecular biology, and electrophysiology, uh, is to see what are the similarities and differences can we see. Is there anything common uh, out of this, this, uh, the same disorder, or there's something that can differentiate one disorder with the other, or they show different drug response. So basically, what we're trying to generate here is actually is a database and a resource for the whole field. And eventually, people can come in and look at the data and take these cell lines to work themselves and push forward. So I think that's actually one of the goals of whole consortium. You generate a large data set for the whole field. I take it also one of the things you're trying to do is, is determine the genetic and, and molecular mechanistic differences between bipolar disorder and schizophrenia. How much of a challenge has that been for researchers? So that actually is not the major goal of this uh, uh, consortium. And the, the, major, uh, the major goal is actually trying to standardize assets. So, so we have a methodology where many people in the field, uh, both academic, uh, pharmaceutical companies, can work on this. And the reason for that is here, we're still, as you said before, we're dealing with a very small number of patients and representative uh, uh, cases. So we don't know. Uh, how, how, how far can we go using this approach to identify the, the cause of disease? I think that's a much higher uh, task. Well, what, one of the problems with research in this area is there's been so much variation from lab to lab and approach. What's been the consequence of that? And, and do you expect to be able to, to standardize approaches here? You're exactly right. So, so this is because we're dealing with uh, human cultures and it takes longer to grow them. So anything really happens as they accumulate over time, and then it leads to much bigger differences. And that leads to uh, issues of reproducibility, of different results and bindings. And that's why uh, so NIH actually put out an effort to see, can we actually standardize everything? Can we standardize uh, the cell line quality? Can we standardize the approaches to Differential cells in the different cell types have different labs. The different people in the same lab get the same results. So that's actually one of the major goals of this consortium is cross compare and train each other to see can we get the same standardized results. And because this is very important for eventually some store companies to take over and, and to uh, go further to the drug screen. It is the power of blocks is, is the system. Can, can we uh, sort of produce and uh, standardize? 
And, and this is actually a consortium of, of four research institutes and, and two industry partners. How well defined is each entity's role in, in the work? So, so this is uh, very unique. Uh, the reason uh, we put this together is because everybody has a different expertise. So uh, even within the full academic institute, and we have uh, sort of expertise, uh, experience of turning IPSLs in different cell types, in particular assays. But also, very importantly, uh, it's actually very complementary. So for example, the pharmaceutical uh, industrial partners, they are very good at standardized assays. But they are not sort of very good at initially set up those uh, tedious assays. So by working together, so academic labs can learn from them how they uh, industrial standards to generate an asset which is reproducible, you can move to screens. But on the other hand, uh, the, the, the pharmaceutical companies get access to technologies much quicker uh, than they normally would establish themselves. And, and are there time, timelines for the project? Oh, exactly. So, so this is not a, a traditional, for example, uh, investor-initiated grant, and this is a milestone-driven uh, project. So we have milestones every year or every half year at which we have to reach. So, so we have a lot of, uh, we actually have monthly meetings, talking uh, among the groups, and we also have consortium meetings every uh, twice a year. And so there's a lot of efforts and these uh, very clear milestones we have to hit over the course of the study. Ultimately, what do you think the effect of this will be on the future of drug development for mental illness? What we hope to achieve is, is uh, basically is that we can put a normal platform for drug development uh, into the current ones. The current ones, people are using cell lines from uh, uh, stable cell lines, from tumor cells, or animal models. What's missing is really a morphological system which are much more mimicking real human genetics and conditions. We hope is we can generate a standardized platform as well as a large data set people in the field of those clinicians and basic scientists can take advantage of that and explore that. And I think that's really will be a very good beginning for the next decade for new generation of drug development testing. And is there any expectation this will have any benefits from a diagnostic point of view? That, that may be. Uh, the, 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 the sort of a component in that may, uh, may actually come out of this study. is because we're doing large-scale of analysis of different signatures, both molecular signatures, protein signatures, and metabolic signatures. And that is a potential that can come as biomarkers for certain disorders or indication of drug treatment. So, so we actually leave that open in this consortium as well. So I think one frustration, both from a, a treatment and a diagnostic point of view, has been the lack of an approach that treats these illnesses from a biological point of view, is is this something you think we're we're at a point of really changing? Yeah, you also raise a good point. Uh, so the current drugs that people use is really uh, treating specific symptoms, right? And what's important is to have a biological understanding of the process. The quality process become disruptive, and that may come in a more biological way, as you said, a way to fix it in a way where we will try to bring them back to normal. Hong Jung Sung, Professor of Neurology and Neurosciences at the John Hopkins University School of Medicine in Baltimore. Hong Jung, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you.
Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.